This season on the podcast, we've talked a lot about mental, emotional, and spiritual health. But I think it's important that we balance these intense conversations with a good, healthy dose of laughter. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in the throes of my own creative process, the temptation is to take myself way too seriously sometimes. Well, today, we're going to ruin all of that. And remember that humor also is a spiritual practice and an important part of mental health and making art. You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season nine, episode 13. Chris White is an award-winning filmmaker who has spent over a decade writing, directing, and producing a variety of feature-length and short films. His most recent project is the music-centric coming-of-age comedy, Electric Jesus, which explores the world of a fictional 1980s Christian hair metal band called 316. The film follows the band's journey from playing Bible camp talent shows to larger rock venues and gives an amusing look at youth culture during the time when heavy metal music was bathed in controversy. The film stars Brian Baumgartner, better known as Kevin from The Office, also Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club, and newcomers Shannon Hutchinson and Andrew Eagle. In addition to writing and directing Electric Jesus, Chris White also co-wrote original songs for the film collaborating with composer and indie rock legend Daniel Smith of the Danielson family. In this episode, I talk with Chris about the making of the film, the art of satire, and why thinking about humor as a spiritual practice isn't really all that funny. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy additional segments of this conversation at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. This is my interview with screenwriter and film director, Chris White. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the Makers and Mystics podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I had the opportunity to watch most of the movie before we got on the call today, and I was really enjoying it but you'll have to avoid giving me any spoilers for the last 20 minutes of the film I didn't see. Oh, I mean, that's what I never want to talk about on things like this. I never want to talk about the end because the end is um, is definitely surprising, I would say. And um, it just, uh, it, it, it lands in a really uh, maybe unexpected place, the film. So I'm excited for you to finish it. And uh, I'm totally fine with us not talking about that. wonderful well the film really interested me one and maybe this shows my own age here but like you know i was 10 years old when those original christian hair metal bands were actually a real thing that existed in the world and truth be known even though i didn't grow up in the church i saw striper 
live in concert at 10 years old. No way, man. Wow. <laughs> Where did you see them? And what was the circumstance of your, the adults in your life taking you to a striper show at 10? Yeah, well, funny story is that my sister actually dated a sound man for a Christian rock band. <laughs> oh, sweet, man. You got into lots of shows then, hopefully. It's true. I mean, it's that's true. a good perk of your sister dating a sound guy. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I even got rewarded with lots of VHS tapes about why Ozzy Osbourne and Wasp was going to send me to hell and like oh, all no. kinds of oh, fun no. Christian paraphernalia <laughs> from, from the late 80s. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Maybe you can help me through that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that um, the, the act of listening to Wasp and Ozzy Osbourne will actually result in you being sent to hell, but it may not advance the best musical taste for you. So, yes, you know, I, I think your eternal soul, be, be that as it may, I think you sh should have advanced your, your musical taste a little beyond that. But uh, having said that, I, I think it would be the more official Christian position that, no, that's not what sent you to hell. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Well, I did have to go through uh, several years of therapy to get past some of the hair metal days of my life, but I, I think I've been redeemed at this point. <laughs> That's good. As long as you kept the spandex pants at least hanging in your closet for, you know, when you need them. I'll let my wife answer that for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this movie is really about Nostalgia, would you say? Yeah. What prompted you to write a film based on a Christian hair metal band and, and that whole scene? Well, you know, um, okay, so so yes, uh, the, the film uh, is nostalgic in the sense of sentimental, you know, sentimentality for the past, but I, I, I am really conflicted about the word nostalgia. I don't think nostalgia is particularly helpful or even healthy. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm fine to unpack that. And maybe I should because I'm, I'm this uh, screenwriter and director that made a film that if you just watch the trailer, you'll be like, oh, wow, nostalgia for Christian hair metals, bands, and youth group days of the 80s. I would say, though, <laughs> you know, I, I do think there's something to uh, going back to the past and mining our past excavating the past uh, for for what we might find there. Some people might even say deconstructing the present to get to the past or deconstructing the past to get to a new present. I I do think there are clues in the past and I do to, to various things in our lives as adults. And so I guess writing the film really started from the idea of huh, almost like an interrogation of my uh, Christian teenage youth group days. You know, I grew up a Southern Baptist kid in Columbia, South Carolina in the mid 80s. And a big part of my youth group culture was Christian rock music. And so that's really the world of the movie. Now, let me let me just say, you know, the genre of the movie is is rock and roll coming of age rock and roll movie. But I just had never heard of there being one about a Christian band. <laughs> yes. So that was my, uh, uh, shall we say, contribution to the genre is <laughs> now we have a Christian band uh, rock and roll movie. But but yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm wistful for the past. I think the past is really entertaining and I, in a lot of ways. And I think we have memories for a reason. I'm not sure I know what the reason is because sometimes we have really bad 
horrible memories, but we still have them, you know? So I'm, I'm curious about those ideas. Um, but I guess the best I can say for nostalgia is if it can get you to, if it, if there's a way at looking back, if there's a way we, you can look back and then pull something forward that might be helpful for now, then I think it's okay. But if it's just, you know, doom scrolling Facebook, looking for old girlfriends or boyfriends and, imagining what could have been and wasn't, you know, <laughs> becoming more sad in your life. And I think it's kind of bad, you know, <laughs> it's not very helpful. One characteristic of the movie that I caught immediately is the music. And the, the soundtrack truly captured the sound of that era. And I was listening with a smile on my face, but I was like, Wow, for this genre of music, this is this is pretty fun. This is pretty accurate. And listeners to the podcast may not know, but the music for this film was written in collaboration with Daniel Smith from the Danielson family, yeah, whom a lot of our listeners are familiar with. And I'm curious, how did you and Daniel strike a balance between excellent songwriting because the songs are really good? but they're full of satire. There's there's a bit of satire in all of it. How, how did you come to that uh, balance there? Well, okay, that, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, so first of all, Daniel's an amazing songwriter. He's probably known for music that's maybe more eclectic, you know, alternative folk rock, I would call him. Some people might have found him on Tooth & Nail Records in the late 90s with his band, and they're still recording now. And so he doesn't, even though he's from New Jersey, Southern New Jersey, he's not a hair metal guy, but he was <laughs> in middle school. <laughs> yes. And um, so really, I guess where we started, I, me writing the script, I had written lyrics to these Christian rock songs that I thought were earnest and true, but also kind of having fun with the idea of a 15-year-old Christian teenager, you know, writing a very earnest Christian metal song. And then the assignment to Daniel, which was as much his suggestion as anybody's was, he just said, let's make them great songs. You know, let's start with melody. Let's build great melodies. And then let's, let's make them the best production we possibly can. Because both of us, both of us were convicted that it, you know, to hear a bad song, that's funny, amusing for maybe seven, eight seconds. And then it's like old and another step, and then it starts to be irritating after a while. <laughs> so we wanted to make songs that do a trick on the viewer that you're kind of like, I kind of dig this song called Commando for Christ. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I walk out of the movie and I'm like, ah, is that on Spotify? Yes, it is. You know, <laughs> um, I, I'm still singing that song, by the way, just yeah. so you know, that song is still in my head. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, an amazing hook and it's, it's a kind of funny joke in the lyric. I just made the lyrics young and earnest and very Christian, and Daniel made the music better than it could could have ever been. And, and we would say this, you know, when you when you when you think back on the best rock shows you ever attended in your life, you know, if you if you had a time machine and you went back to it, probably isn't as good as it is in your memory. You know, all of us have had the experience of you know finding an old song. Maybe you had the forty five or a 
you know, it was like your big song when you were little and you, and you, you listen to it again. You're like, man, that's terrible. Oh no, <laughs> I had such yeah. terrible taste. So we wanted these songs to be, um, the whole movie is kind of a memory movie. It's the sound man for a band telling a story about what happened in 1986. So we figured in his mind, these songs sound incredible. So we should make them incredible. And, um, I think, Daniel Smith just did an amazing job with an incredible studio band. And of course, two actors that are singing, uh, the, the actors in the film are actually the singers on the record. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I loved the girl's voice. It was, Oh really, yeah. Yeah. Shannon really Hutchinson good. plays yes. Sarah and she, she's more of an Americana bluegrass style, um, performer in the film. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And then Wyatt Linhart, who plays Michael, the lead singer of the band, is just, he's got that metal voice, you know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, so getting that balance, I think really worked um, because you, hopefully you you chuckle when you hear the, the songs or cringe a little bit, but you keep listening because Daniel's music is so good. Talking about balance, that makes me think of another point I wanted to ask you about concerning the movie because... The movie is about Christian culture, but it isn't a religious movie. At least that wasn't my takeaway from it. And and I didn't get the sense that the movie was necessarily mocking the faith or that there it wasn't in the spirit of mockery, but it was very humorous and it did poke fun. But at the same time, it wasn't propaganda. It wasn't religious propaganda. It didn't seem to have an agenda. It was It was a very earnest depiction that was both funny without being disrespectful. Can you talk to me about that aspect of the film? Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I just don't think we see a lot of art these days that isn't overtly judgy and very clear on good guys, bad guys. I mean, the most popular movies in the world are, are um, superhero movies and it's literal good guys and bad guys. And I look back at my evangelical youth group days. And I think that was kind of charming. I know some people had really awful experiences with church or had have wounds they're still still de- dealing with. And, I, and mine certainly wasn't perfect or anything. And I, I definitely had some weirdness in my life coming out of that for sure. But for the most part, I kind of look at it and I'm like, it was it was really kind of a cool way to grow up. But again, unpacking it, interrogating it, was it really like that? You know, that process got me to a point where I, um, I think a, a better choice for this piece of art, for this film, was to just let the characters speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And wherever they go, they go. And sometimes they go to awful places. Sometimes they say stupid, cringy, awful things, <laughs> and we don't correct it. And, um, you know, a a pet peeve of mine is when you see a movie about high schoolers and they're, they're basically speaking the words of the 40 year olds that wrote the movie with all the wisdom of adulthood. (laughs) Um, You know, they're like, I I think of those as like revenge movies by screenwriters. Like, I'm going to go back to high school and I'm going to tell people off, you know, (laughs) and I just, I could still hear me and my friends talking in my head and I could go into scenes and I could, I remember how we were how we would talk about Jesus and God and our goals for life and our spiritual growth. And also just, we were teenagers and we'd also talk about 
hot girls and you know <laughs> sports and <laughs> you know um star wars movies and all the nerdy things that we talk i mean it was this blend it was like a totally blended world where you know following christ and trying not to sin was just as fully integrated with you know, watching uh, Back to the Future or, you know, or Top mm -hmm. Gun, you know, like <laughs> it, it was fully integrated to me. And so yes. I think um, that's how I looked at, I let the movie be that, you know, and, and there is a genre, a very successful film genre, uh, the faith-based movie, the Christian movie. I think of those movies as, you know, movies for a certain kind of Christian that gives them their worldview. It, it, it just kind of says, hey, it, it's, you're right. And, uh, your way of looking at things is, is going to work and just, you know, keep following this path and things will turn out good. And I just think that's, that's not very helpful for me. <laughs> and I, and I mm -hmm. consider myself a Christian, you know, I, I don't need to see something that just confirms everything, you know, I've ever heard and, and makes me feel okay that my way is the right way. I like being challenged. I, you know, I like, um, I like discovery. I like exploration. So I, I tried to let Electric Jesus be that. And if we had been talking while I was shooting the movie, I probably would have said to you, Stephen, I'm trying so hard not to make this a Christian movie, but <laughs> you know, the characters talk about Jesus on every page. And, you know, so, so it, is, it, is, uh, it is a tricky thing, walking that line. Well, uh, you mentioned what you would have said to me while you were making the movie, but I'm curious... How does the movie speak to you personally now that you've completed it? It's launched into the world. It's living its own life. You know, do you feel like that your own art has something that it's saying back to you as the artist? Oh, yeah, it does. I don't think that's something that um, it, people who um, aren't makers of a specific kind of art, like let's say music, because that's something I, I you know, I, I write words, but I don't really make music. We don't think of the artist as, you know, the song speaking to the person that wrote them in any other way than they intended. And I spent about a year on the festival circuit watching Electric Jesus with all kinds of audiences all over the country. And um, the film says something different than me than I think I even was thinking when I set out to make it, you know, when we started shooting in the summer of you know, 2019. And Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin on The Office, he's in the movie and he shows up and then Judd Nelson shows up and all the kids show up and we're making this film. And I think now that that's over and the film's out in the world. And, you know, a, a good example is I thought I was Eric. He's the sound man in the band. I wrote it thinking, that's me. I'm, I'm Eric. And I now seeing the movie, I, I realize I'm Sarah. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, like I thought that was, that's how I maybe saw myself growing up. And then I see, no, I'm, I'm somebody who's trying to be good, but get out and explore a creative life. And nobody's there to show me how to do that. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I realized that um, I had, it's so easy to make all these stories about us when a lot of stories are about other people and your friends and the, the, you know, the kinds of things that I didn't notice. I couldn't have noticed when I was 16 years old happening in lives around me. Uh, we're all kind of like little narcissists when we're teenagers, aren't we? You know, just kind of 
living your life and processing everything through you and your family or some of us are at 40 as well though <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean how can we not be how can we not be i mean the whole world is 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 serving us right, right on every right. level so we're all being uh trained and conditioned yeah but yeah that's that's interesting how art speaks to the artist i yes. think that's a a great question to ask anybody ask a painter ask a you know ask a musician like how does this song you wrote 20 years ago speak to you now you know something you said earlier really struck me also as you said i just um i wanted to let the characters do what they did i just wanted to let this play out i didn't try to control that and yeah. that's something we've been talking about on the podcast uh, in several different conversations i've had you know, artists or musicians, like when you get an idea or a concept and then you get in the middle of it and suddenly it begins growing beyond your own observation of it when you first came, when you first discovered it, you know? And yeah. it sounds like you really let this film breathe and become what it wanted to become. Yeah, and, and that's that's purposeful. Artists have to do that. I think it's, uh, it's uh, scary to do that, you know, it's scary to go into an edit and maybe a scene's not working or a sequence is not quite working and kind of, you know, I have a great editor, Scott Lansing, I work with and we're just in the edit, we just become, you know, we're storytellers, we're, we're brothers in this, this trench of how are we going to get this out and we, we have to work through those things and it, it does feel like working without a net a lot of times, but it's also like, let the film reveal itself to us mm -hmm. you know let's i know we tried to do this or i know we wanted this scene to be this way but that's not quite happening here so what is the scene becoming and it's um that's an exhilarating way to work as an artist it's also um can be quite rare mm -hmm. and um but it's you know for me at least in my process that's the path is is find the film find the performances with these actors we worked with incredible actors on this movie and just kind of working with them to find these characterizations. Well, I was really curious what Kevin's job was before he got hired by Dunder Mifflin. And so this film really helped <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. Get... <laughs> yeah, it's like a Kevin Malone origin story. You're right. You know, he had hair. I, and this was a... This was I, a yeah, I should tell Brian that. Um, maybe it's another way to monetize the movie. You yes. know, we could sell it to NBC. It's kept. Now, I, I want to say this about Brian, Brian Baumgartner's performance. It is nothing like Kevin Malone. Yes. Um, he That's is, true. Um, he, he shows such range as an actor and a different kind of just power and, and uh, complexity. And he had a ball playing the part, you know. Nice. We we had a ball um, just being around him playing this part. That was I'm so sure. not I'm sure. Kevin like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I, when I first saw him, I was like, "Wait, is that is that Kevin?" <laughs> yeah. It took me yeah, a we, minute, and then I was like, "We put him in a is. toupee, and <laughs> it's a it's a pretty obvious toupee, I think, but it's a bit of an homage to a, a former pastor of mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, that wore a toupee, and then. Uh, smartly got rid of it at a certain point, but I still remember the Sunday at church when he came in and he just didn't have a toupee on anymore. And I was just, how did that happen? I was asking my parents, how did, what happened? Like, well, he took off his hair. Um, That's amazing. But there's uh yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, the toupee looks exactly like this pastor's toupee as well. That's so, hilarious. Anyway. Well, something that I'd love to ask you about that ventures away from the film specific, but really embodies a lot of the heart of the film, I think. It's just humor as an art form and possibly humor even as a spiritual practice of joy or a oh, spiritual wow. practice yeah. of, of bringing laughter. You know, we especially on Makers and Mystics, and I'm an Enneagram 4, and uh, I love talking about contemplation and silence and the desert fathers <laughs> and the desert mothers oh, yeah. and like yeah, yeah. the Essenes and all this like deep, dark stuff. But we, my friends and I have often talked about humor and laughter, and we'll sit around a campfire just hanging out talking at night and just laugh for hours. But I'm like, man, how can I not, why can I not capture that in the podcast? Or it's like the moment I pick up an instrument or something, I just go to this, this deep place. But, yeah, yeah. you know, but humor is such an incredible art form. And ironically enough, humor is also, in my mind, a very spiritually deep phenomenon as well. So I'd love, I'd love your thoughts on, on humor as an art form. Well, here, here's, here would be one thought is that the second we start talking about humor as art, it becomes humorless. <laughs> we, we dissect it. I did. But no, no, no. I managed no, no. to ruin it. No, it's good. <laughs> um, but I will say, yes, I love the idea of humor, of comedy, of a sense of humor as a spiritual practice. And and how does, you know, what maybe where that comes from is if you kind of see our situation of life, you see, you know, see it clearly, you know, with, with God or without God, we, we live in a, a strange proposition in front of us. We are given this life and we're just kind of going through it. And we are aware that it will end someday. You know, one thing I always say to my wife, whenever uh, Emily is a co, uh, she's the executive producer of this movie and a collaborator. I work with her all the time. She's my best friend. Um, but, you know, when we're having a great night, maybe having a great bottle of wine and just had a great dinner, I'll say, you know, this ends very badly, <laughs> right? Mm. You know, it, this does. You know, one of us is going to die first. It'll probably be me. Mm. Or we'll be sick, or we'll experience a business failure, or God forbid something happens to our children. I mean, life is filled with struggle and awful, awful. And in that, there's this absurdity of these uh, sometimes even gleeful moments of just sheer joy. You know, somebody sends you a stupid TikTok video and you just laugh and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or you see a great stand-up thing or a, a hilarious film or TV series, I mean, um, or you read a hilarious book or an article or something. I, I do think it's good. I think it's, I think it's built into our, the creation that made us made some sense of, of absurdity, of laughter, of joy. I think that's something that Electric Jesus is trying to say. I really think a critique of the way I grew up was there was so much pressure put on me and my friends to, to change the world, to, uh, as they say in the movie, make Jesus famous, to share the gospel, to bring people to faith. And there was very little emphasis on just, you know, it's okay just to be f friends and yes. have fun and just do stupid stuff. And that's enough. Like mm -hmm. Jesus is happy with that. Yeah, Jesus was happy the day we just went to an amusement park and just hung out all day. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and nobody got saved. Nobody was discipled. 
Nobody became more holy. We just had fun. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that's something that was certainly missing. I mean, we had fun in my youth group, but it was always a little bit of this. But it's got to have a, a point, you know. Right. You so, got to have fun yeah. for Jesus. <laughs> right. And that that happens in a lot of Christian art. A lot of Christian art. The art is just a tool to share the gospel or the artist. Yeah. You know, we, we got to justify it. You know, this needs to be on some level about God. Right. It can't just be. Be yeah. silly, right? Um, and maybe and I think our, that's where it can cross over into propaganda. In my mind, is when is definitely, when, definitely. when that is put on the art, it kind of kills the freedom of it. I've met a lot of um, through this movie. I've met a lot of artists, filmmakers, just people that have come across my path who will say who who are very discouraged in their art because they're in faith communities that just don't honor the expression for the sake of the expression. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something I say to people all the time is like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know how to tell you to respond to that community, but I can tell you God is pleased with creation. Yeah. And he doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need his logo stamped on it. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's beautiful to make. It's beautiful to create and it's beautiful to tell each other stories and, and it is beautiful to laugh. I think that, I think that makes God happy. But what do I know? What do I know? <laughs> I have well, no idea. Maybe well, God's I mean, really mad at us, Stephen. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I asked you about humor as a spiritual practice, and you started talking to me about the fact that we're all going to die. So I. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I think that's really funny, though. <laughs> so, so I think that's hilarious <laughs> that we just try so hard and we're just all headed for a dirt nap. That's what's hilarious to me. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics today. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to go and contemplate my mortality now. Uh. <laughs> hey, throw your hands. You can't do anything about it. That's right. <laughs> I mean, run, eat right, get lucky. You're still going to you're still going to drop dead one day. And it's okay. It's okay, Stephen. Jesus has you. It's good. You're good. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music from the soundtrack of Electric Jesus. See the show notes of this episode for links to see the film and to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to our monthly contributors. You enable me to continue the production of these episodes. If you're currently not a patron and enjoy these weekly conversations, please consider joining our creative collective at patreon.com. For a small donation, you'll receive additional content, access to our private online community, and most importantly, you'll encourage artists of faith around the world to keep creating. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.